Hi, I'm Gail from Europod. Before enjoying your podcast, allow me to say a few words about Europe Talks Back. In the third season of Europe Talks Back, I want to uncover the topics that matter or should matter to all of us. From gender to bodies and sex, digital to migration and urban landscapes, and everything in between. Rather than focusing on macro-level policies, let's zoom in and talk to the brave activists and volunteers with lived experience, who are working directly with marginalized communities to further equity, justice, and liberation for all. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Do you remember that video of Merkel rolling her eyes at Putin? If you don't, just search Merkel Eye Roll and you'll find countless videos and comments online. The internet went completely mad with this video. I would bet you anything that Merkel hates it. That was the UN summit in 2017. And it's crazy to see how much people invested in guessing what they were talking about. Suddenly, Merkel is exasperated by Putin's mansplaining. Her eye roll is endowed with feminism. Go check it out if you don't believe me. My question to Angela Merkel. La mia domanda ad Angela Merkel. Ma question a Angela Merkel. Mi pregunta Angela Merkel. A Europod series. Episode 3. Minister Engi. I never really thought of Merkel as a feminist. She never claims to be one. Just listen to her at this women's summit in 2017. Do you consider yourself a feminist? Ehrlich gesagt, ähm, möchte ich. Angela Merkel can be tricky to place on a political spectrum. With her, it seems that nothing is ever black or white. Her years as minister of a reunified Germany are no exception. Remember Helmut Kohl? The man who reunified Germany. He's also the man who gave Angela her first ministry. He named her Minister for Youth and Women. Of course, she must have been pleased by the idea of joining the governing cabinet. But what was unclear to her was why put her in charge of this particular ministry? Remember Joyce Mushaben, German politics expert who wrote a book on Merkel? She's also a professor in gender studies and believes Merkel's gender was key to understanding this choice. The CDU had almost no women in its ranks. It still does fairly poorly, although it's got three female leaders over the last two years. 
But Helmut Kohl wanted to have a couple of token Easterners. He didn't expect them to be people who would hang around for very long or prove to be very competent because he had all of his old West Party, uh, Western Party buddies whom he was bringing into the cabinet. And it was pretty ironic because this is a woman who was divorced and has no children, and she's a physicist. And she's had nothing to do with feminism or women's movements, although she was a woman operating in a man's world. At no point in her career had she shown particular interest in those questions. Feminism was quite opaque to her. But when you take a closer look at her time as minister from 1991 to 1994, you can see that Merkel actually has a complex relationship with feminism. And so she is put in charge of women, family, and youth. And there was a lot of pushback. The West German feminists were just irate, so angry that someone like this with no commitment to feminist issues and causes would be the new women's minister. And Merkel does comment on that later in life. Now, there is something you need to understand. Germany had just been reunified. East Germany and West Germany, if they no longer existed on paper, still very much existed in terms of cultural and economic realities. Easterners and Westerners had lived in incredibly distinct environments. In the 1990s, the government has to face a massive challenge, harmonizing the penal code for the reunified Germany. They have to tackle social issues, amongst which women's rights. Eastern feminists and Western feminists are about to clash. They don't understand patriarchal oppression the same way, and they don't have the same priorities. And there were the socialist feminists, the autonomous feminists, and the bourgeois liberal feminists, and the this feminists. And they spent as much time, these factions, fighting each other as they did fighting the patriarchy. And the so-called East German feminists, they didn't understand and they couldn't get along with the Western feminists right after unification because the Westerners kept saying, you don't have a theoretical background, you don't understand patriarchy. And the East German feminists were saying, they're taking away our abortion rights. So those two feminist groups didn't get along and they split and they ran off and hid in their separate corners. So it was very clear to Angela Merkel that if she identified with one group or the other, it was kind of, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. For a newbie in feminism who had not followed those debates before, this was quite a mess. But soon enough, she would have to take a stand. Because in the Bundestag, a key question was being discussed the article of the penal code dealing with abortion rights. Now, again, the tricky thing to understand here is that the DDR and the FDR had completely different legislations when it came to abortion. Whilst East Germany had legalized abortion on demand in 1972, West Germany, on the other hand, limited it very strictly. So, in 1991, It obviously couldn't remain that way. At this stage, Helmut Kohl is in a delicate position. As chancellor and leader of the CDU, he needs to juggle between the conservative and the liberal wings of his coalition. Kohl, 
ultimately decides to go along with the conservative stand. But the bill that they put forward is completely out of touch with the social reality of the newly reunified Germany. Unlike him, Merkel sees that. And that's something that surprised me when I first looked into it. Because a simplistic way to understand this is, Merkel is a conservative in a conservative party. And if you take into account her faith and her upbringing, it reinforces a black and white assumption. But that's something you cannot take away from her. Merkel isn't stubborn. She's not blinded by ideologies. She has her views, her principles, but she always confronts them and adjusts them to reality. And in this regard, she's pragmatic in the best sense. So when the CDU presents their stand for the debate, she disagrees. She abstains from the vote. But she's not a young MP anymore. She's now the Minister of Women, and that means something. That means she gets to put forward her own bill. And that's exactly what she does. It didn't have any chance to be passed, but it allowed her to be heard in the debate, to be heard for herself. Yes, as a Christian woman, she believed that life was sacred. However, she saw that abortions happen, and no penalization law would change that. They only make a hard decision more precarious and more dangerous. And as a society, we cannot wish for that. That was pretty much the gist of her argument. It is the SPD's bill which asked for abortion by choice to be depenalized that was eventually voted in favor of. At that point, Merkel was still unfamiliar with feminist concepts and movements in general. But that was about to change. And this is where you see that Merkel is a true nerd at heart. She didn't know much about feminism. Well, it was just like any other subject. All she needed was to hit the books. Joyce Musaben told me about the first time that happened. There was a curious event that happened. Shortly after being appointed, she broke her leg in a ski accident. And she calls that a lucky break. Because while she was at home recuperating, she had a chance to read several books on West German feminism and find out what kind of struggle these women had gone through and what kinds of issues they were mobilizing around and, and why, in part, they had become so much more vehement. The second occurrence of bookworming was a bit after the vote on abortion rights. Cole took Merkel with him on an official trip to the US, where she got her hand on a very special book, Backlash, by Susan Faludi. Two years later, in May 1993, an article was published in Emma, a German feminist magazine. The name of the article, Der Marsch zur Macht, The March Towards Power. And its author, is no other than Mrs. Minister Merkel. The article presented Faludi's work and argued that it made just as much sense in Germany as it did in the US. Her tone was committed and her message clear. Us women must continue to march towards the institutions and to take part in public authority. 
In the same year, she became extremely dynamic, putting forward innovative and bold ideas. Paid leave, prevention of sexual harassment in the workplace, gender parity in the public service. And all these ideas were met in her party with nothing else than contempt. And then she was becoming a little bit too popular in that office. She did push for things like paid leave for women. You heard her right. She was becoming too popular. The thing is, you see, Cole didn't expect her to lead new policies. He just wanted her to be a convenient symbol. Like many, he underestimated her. The relationship between the two was complex. Cole was like a mentor to Merkel. But he was always with a patronizing attitude towards her. He came up with this little nickname for her, Mein Metzen, my girl. Can you believe that? He introduced her that way, like she was some kind of curiosity. Cole's behavior wouldn't be her only experience of misogyny. As she climbed up the hierarchy, it would become more and more obvious. Politics was still in the mind of many, a man's game. Michel Alliot-Marie explained that to me in an interview. Similarly to Merkel, she was one of the women accessing top responsibility positions in the French government. She was successively the Minister of Defence, Minister of Justice and Minister of International Affairs in the 2000s. But like Angela Merkel, her first ministerial experience was in the early 1990s, as Minister for Youth and Sport. In other words, being the first woman to lead a political party or a ministry also implies to be looked at like a symbol. If you succeed, everything goes well, and other women will be able to walk in your footsteps. However, if you fail, your errors are unforgiven. It then becomes very difficult for other women to get nominated at this position. The 1990s were a strange time in German politics. It was the golden age of television, which significantly changed the way the political game was played. The change was even more drastic for former Eastern Germany, which was somehow stuck in time compared to Western regions. Politicians now needed to pay attention to their looks. It looked like this did not interest Angela Merkel. She seemed a bit reserved, yet extremely open and warm. These are the earliest memories I have of her. The first time I saw her, as I was Minister of Youth and Sports, she looked a bit like an academic or an old student. At the same time, it seemed like she was very careful to do what she was asked. In her first experience as minister, Merkel became unexpectedly popular. In the 1994 regional elections, she gathered 48.6% of the votes in her district, Stralsund. That was an excellent score, especially compared to the total national results of the CDU and the CSU, which was losing ground in the electorate since 1990. Cole was entering his fourth term as German Chancellor. But his party was going down and the opposition was rising. And his medicine turned out to be one of his key assets. 
Merkel has just turned 40 when Kohl puts her in charge of the Ministry of Environment. A nice promotion. This ministry has a great importance in Germany, as it is, among other things, responsible for nuclear safety. And you need to realize that in the 90s, 40% of the country's energy supplies comes from nuclear power plants. Once again, Merkel won't have time to settle gently in her new role. Her first case was going to be defining for Germany and for Europe. But before taking a closer look at that, let's say hello to a new character which makes the briefest of appearances in Merkel's life. Clemens Strutman. He's a top Environment Ministry official. He knows every case inside out and hopes that the inexperienced match and taking over will mean him taking on more responsibilities. So when he meets Merkel, he lets her know that she needs him to run the place. <sighs> If this was a Shakespearean play, I'd say, enough with this head. But it was actually more like, pack your desk, Clement, and Auf Wiedersehen. Not as dramatic, but politically speaking, it meant the same. Strotman was pretty much dead. This was going to be Merkel's first political murder. But trust me, it wouldn't be the last. Sacking someone like Strotman made quite an impression in her office. It made her respected, admired and feared. That's the political animal she is when she faces the big challenge of closing a deal on nuclear energy. Now, this is a tricky one. To understand this, we need what we could call a Merkelologist like Florence Sautré. She's a seasoned journalist and, uh, like Joyce Mushaben, she's the author of a biography on Merkel. Nuclear power is a social marker. It is crucial within the political sphere. The whole force of Germany's Greens has been building on their opposition to nuclear power until the idiots from the SPD understood that it would be better for them to align themselves on this side before losing all political weight. To give you an idea of Germany's journey vis-à-vis -vis nuclear energy, you need to have three dates in mind. First one is 1979, the Three Miles Island accident in the United States, where a nuclear power plant almost collapsed. The accident strengthened the Greens' opposition to nuclear power. Second, the infamous Chernobyl in 1986, in what is now Ukraine. This first nuclear disaster in Europe again increased Germans' defiance against this technology. And finally, the Fukushima nuclear disaster in 2011 in Japan will put an end to the center-right CDU advocating for this energy. But we're not there yet. In 1994, Merkel is quite pro-nuclear, as most center-right lawmakers. She's a physicist. That means she believes there is a technical solution to nuclear insecurity. In her mind, this defiance is caused by irrational fear. In other words, it's nothing that deserves too much attention. Her aim was clear. Creating a consensus on energy and finding a solution to transporting nuclear waste. She succeeds, but only for a moment. 
because in April 1998, as her term as minister was coming to an end, the phone rang in her office in Bonn. And it was carrying a scandal. A French study had revealed that radiation levels on the vehicles transporting nuclear waste to Germany were far above European regulation limits. And to top it off, the businessmen in charge of those transporting companies knew about it. Donc, then she was betrayed by the big electricity companies of Germany, today known as E.ON, RWE, etc. When leaks were discovered in nuclear material transportation, at the time, this story had triggered a massive scandal throughout the country. They literally lied to her and took her for a stooge. I think that she never forgave them. But, as a scientist, she was pro-nuclear. At least, she did not show any aversion to it, unlike Germany's left and most part of the population. However, she still had faced this issue with those companies, with the business. Merkel puts a halt on all transportation and refuses to lift them. She waits. The 1998 elections finally arrived, and the opposition socialist leader, Gerhard Schröder, became chancellor. And the German Greens entered for the first time in a federal government. After more than 15 years of conservative leadership, Germany is now led by centre-left parties. Gerhard Schröder inherited Merkel's temporary ban on transportation of nuclear waste and now has some leverage to negotiate a phase-out from nuclear power. Thirteen years later, Merkel will accelerate that phasing-out process. Why? The nuclear accident of Fukushima, where a nuclear power plant collapsed, almost live on TV after a tsunami killed around 25,000 people in Japan. When Fukushima hit, Germany did not do a massive 180 degrees turn as the one described. According to the Chancellor, the country was already facing a situation where there were 51% reasons to keep nuclear power and 49% reason to leave it. The accident of Fukushima then occurred and caused a 2% variation, meaning that there were now 51% reasons to phase out nuclear power and 49% reasons not to. Nevertheless, she did not phrase it that way because it would have been somewhat sinister. Let's flash forward to the year 2011. As Autre suggests, it wasn't so much of a steep turn. Rather, it was more about Merkel's weighing scale integrating a new factor. After the events, the public was more anti-nuclear than ever. That's when Merkel made her decision. She was facing a major issue in the history of the Federal Republic of Germany. In my opinion, she resolved it in a very much egoistic manner. This situation not only caused industrial problems in the country, but it will also unbalance the entire supply system in Europe. And this system is actually not a European one, but a national one. That's the thing, though. Her decision was quite abrupt. She didn't really consult with her European colleagues and counterparts. And it was somehow a bit hypocritical, as Autre points out. First, that meant a new beginning for extremely polluting coal power plants. And secondly, Germany wouldn't stop using nuclear energy. It was just going to stop producing it. 
In other words, we want more power plants, as such will need yours, but they are on your territories. From the beginning, Merkel showed she had a firm hand and an independent mind, and those who thought she was still this quiet and unthreatening medicine would soon come to regret it. But that's for next time. My question to Angela Merkel. La mia domanda ad Angela Merkel. Ma question a Angela Merkel. Mi pregunta Angela Merkel. A Europod series. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Do you want to hear more podcasts that get to the bottom of things that stand out in the ambient noise? Join Europod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our newsletter. Follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Discover our brand new website at www.europod.eu and join us in our fight. Europod. Clear the noise. Start to listen.